Thank you, Linda. Well, lesson noted. I'll go out this afternoon and buy a sandal. <laughs> if you want to go with me, let me know. <laughs> I'll buy you a butch instead. Well, a tough act to follow. Um, it's my joy to open up the Word of God with you this morning. Uh, throughout the summer as a church, we have been studying this summer series, Faith That Moves. Uh, this series for me personally has been very timely in my own walk with the Lord. Even when I was away in vacation, I got to listen to all the sermons. I did not miss a single sermon. And the Lord met me where I was in my brokenness, in my weakness, and he ministered to me. I hope it has been same to you as well. It has been edifying to your soul. As this and next Sunday, we will conclude our summer series, Faith That Moves. Uh, so just a way of heads up, this Sunday, we will dive into the final section of Hebrews chapter 11. And next Sunday, we will dive into the first three verse of chapter 12 as an application of all we have studied in chapter 11. So today we are about to dive in the final section of Hebrews chapter 11. And many Bible scholars and commentators say that the section that we are about to dive in today is the highlight. It's the, where it reaches the emotional peak it's the climax of it all that we have been studying in Hebrews 11. But when I read it, I'm like, really? Highlight? Climax? To me, it's a low light. It's an anti-climax. To me, when you read it, you will soon find out what I mean by that. Uh, so I titled today's message as The Seasons of Faith, Triumph, Trials, and Fulfillment. And if you are like me, you may be thinking, wait a second, triumph, trial, and fulfillment? Uh, that word should be another letter that starts with a T, not F. Triumph, trial, something with a T. I couldn't quite come up with another T letter. So fulfillment is all you get, church. Uh, but to give you points for that, actually, I'll focus on these first two, a triumph and trial. Fulfillment will be the application of it all. We all have seasons of faith, and in order to be wise in our faith journey, you must understand and embrace both seasons of triumph and also the season of trial. If you don't have this, don't have this, and if you misunderstand one another, it will create havoc in your life. In order for you to be wise, you must understand and embrace both seasons of triumph and also season of trial. Which season are you in today? Perhaps some of you are walking through a great season of triumph. Praise be to God. We are in the offense. We advance. We are the overcomer. We are being victorious. Those are glorious seasons that God has planned in our lives that we should give Him all the glory, honor, praise that is due. Sometimes you examine your own life and you say, God, I thought I'll never overcome this certain sins, certain struggle of mine that had such stronghold over me. But when you look back somehow, you realize that struggle has diminished substantially, or you don't really struggle with it anymore. 
Praise be to God. In your season of triumph, we rejoice with you, and may this season lead you to joyful humility, knowing that it is not you, but through Christ in you that bring you through the season of triumph. On the other side, there are many of you who are also walking through the season of trials. And your mantra these days, how long, O oh Lord, how long? If it's one thing, you get by it. But when it's one, after one, after another one, or when it rains, I guess it really pours, everything dumps on you all at the same time. And you say, God, I just cannot make it. This is just way too much. In this season of a trial, there's typically a couple different ways of responding that. Typically, it begins by us being completely overwhelmed. This is just too much. I don't know whether I can handle that. And that sometimes leads to discouragement. You're like, God, I don't know. I'm just discouraged. And that develops into despair and resignation. I give up. The erosion of hope begins to happen in your heart. In your heart. Is there really hope for me? The erosion of hope is pretty fatal. Apart from hope, you cannot survive. And that eventually develops into apathy. I don't care anymore. It is what it is. Ciel Aviv. And that becomes a very challenging and difficult place to be in this season of pace, season of faith. On the other side, you get overwhelmed. Another way of responding because of your temperament, you just explode in anger. You just swing right and left, offend all the people around you. Either way of your response in season of trial, these are not an easy season that you walk through. We doubt our walk before the Lord. God, why is life so difficult in this season of trials? This is just too much. So which side are you in? Season of triumph or season of trial? The reason I bring up this too is that's exactly where the author of Hebrews takes us today. Yet, let me might as well be even more Debbie Downer, okay? Author of Hebrews does not give you a solution for that, actually. He just lays out, this is life. Yet, even though he might not give you exactly how to continue in your triumph or how to overcome your trial, he does give us consolation. And might as well, let me lay that out hope, the fulfillment, even before we dive in so that we don't lose heart. Is that he says, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. There is one day, brighter day for us, that God has planned something better. But until that day, as you walk through the season of triumph and the season of trial, may we do not lose heart and find hope in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Can we do that, church? Will you open up your word to Hebrews chapter 11? Today, we will dive into chapter 11, the final section, verse 32 to 40. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 32 to 40. Uh, you might think, oh, Jen, I heard your entire sermon already. Well, there's still more to come. I hope you tune in with us continually as the Lord speaks to us through his word. Let me read Hebrews eleven thirty-two to 40 here. Hear the reading of God's word. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, 
Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Woman received back their dead, raised to life again. There are others who are tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some face the jeers and flogging and even change and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in desert and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is reading of God's word. I am personally very thankful for this word. It gives me hope in both seasons of faith. So seasons of faith, tri triumph, trials, and fulfillment. Let's go one by one. First, triumph. Verse 32 all the way to 35a, first half of 35. Here, the author begins by talking about the seasons of faith by saying, well, actually, I don't really have time to talk about each of these men. David, Samson, Barak, Jephthah, Samuel. Uh, while author is saying that, nonetheless, when you look at verse 33, who through faith, even though the author does not have much time to talk about them, he lists that through their faith, God has done some incredible things. You're about to see them. These people experienced incredible season of triumph. Yet, when you carefully study these men of God, when you read through the book of Judges, these are not your role models, Shelton. Let me borrow the words of the author of Hebrews. I don't have time to talk about each of these men of God in this 30 minutes, but let me give you a one-word summary of each of these men. Ready for it? Gideon, Judges 6 through 8, was often frightened. Barak, Judges 4 through 5, was often quite hesitant in his leadership. Samson, Judges 13 through 16, was rather flippant or pretty fleshly, carnal. Jephthah, Judges 11 through 12, <coughs> excuse me, was often rash. He just did not care. And as you know, King David, he was adulterous, sensual. Samuel, in humanly terms, he was pretty careless. So these are not perfect men of God by no means whatsoever. But somehow, someway, by grace of God, God allowed them the season of triumph, and they have done the great things before the Lord. 
Listen to these words of the pioneer of Protestant Reformation, 16th century theologian John Calvin. There was none of them whose faith did not falter. In every saint, there is always to be found something reprehensible. Nevertheless, although faith may be imperfect and incomplete, it does not cease to be approved by God. There is no reason, therefore, why the fault from which we labor should break us or discourage us, provided we go on by faith in the race of our calling. What Calvin is saying regarding this verse is that these are not perfect men of God filled with flaws and failures, but somehow by God's sovereign grace, as verse 34 says, weakness turned to strength. God decided to use their flaws, imperfection, and weakness for the glory of God by allowing them the season of triumph in their journey. So what kind of triumph did they experience? Verse 33, through faith conquered kingdom, administered justice, gained what was promised. When you read Judges 4 through 16, so many of things will be written, like how Barak won over Sisera, how Gideon's faith triumphed over Midian, how Samson killed the Philistine. When you read the book of Samuel, David conquered. There are so many great things that they have done. And he says, who shut the mouths of lions in verse 33? It's talking about Daniel. He was thrown into the lion's den, but God shut the mouths of lions. He came out unharmed. Verse 34, quench the fury of the flames, talking about three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. When they were thrown into the fiery flame, God protected them. They came out unburnt, unharmed. And what is the greatest triumph of all triumph? Verse 35, woman received back their dead. The resurrection is talking about miracle of Elijah and Elisha, how they raised the dead sons of these women. Man, what an incredible stories of season of triumph. Now, Shelton, if you have been attending us for a while, or maybe you are here for the first time, so this may be new to you, you've been listening to my sermon for a while. If you have, I often like to bring cultural analysis about the culture we live in often. So I often talk about the modern Western culture. But what we have just read here is not only the desire of modern Western culture, but this is the desire of the universal culture. We love underdog story that triumphs over. Despite our flaws, we have conquered. We have triumphed. I mean, I hear so many stories. Oh, I was told I got only four months to live. I prayed hard, read the word, believed, and I'm five years free. I can live forever. Uh, I started at the bottom of the company, and then I worked hard more than anybody else. My weakness was turned into strength. I rose to the top. I used to make six bucks an hour. Now I became CEO. Those humble brag. We all love stories like that. My company was about to go to bankrupt, but I made this one strategic move that turned around the corner. I have triumphed. I mean, this is the chant of a human heart, not just for Western culture. There are so many stories like that in Eastern culture, also in Africa. One of the most fast-spreading theology is prosperity gospel. Why is that? 
Because we said, if you work hard, the Lord will bless you. You can go from bottom to the top. Is there anything wrong with that per se? Sure. But also, is there truth in that? Absolutely. Proverbs talks so many times, if you work hard, and the Lord will bless you at the same time. Let me give one more example before I give any counterfeits to that. I mean, there's a great movie called The Pursuit of Happiness. Thank you, Will Smith. Uh, I teared up. Great movie. He had nothing, but he worked hard and he made it. It's like tearjerker. I was moved by it. But what is the one main flaws of all this story of triumph? Is that it merits us. I have worked hard. I have prayed hard. I have believed hard. Therefore, the four words that is most toxic in Christian life, but I have triumphed. No, it is not you, but through Christ in you. Don't you know these men are sensuous, adulterous, rash, flippant, fleshly, carnal, rash. But despite all their flaws and failure, by somehow, by sovereign goodness of God, He is the one that will allow this great season of triumph. See, Chelton, when you go through a season of triumph, may we be the people of God who give all the glory to God, realizing that it is not I, but through Christ in me, by His sovereign goodness, who allow the season of prosperity and success. Otherwise, when you merit that to all your, how much you have worked hard, how much you have believed hard, that season of triumph will not lead you to joyful humility, but it will only lead you to arrogant self-absorption. I have made it. And I'll say out loud, that is toxic in your Christian journey. Do you know what that happens? Then you look at the world with a binary lens. Those who made it, those who did not make it. And you judge those who are walking through trials. You didn't make it because you didn't believe hard enough. Look at me. I made it. I worked hard, prayed hard, read the word. No, it's grace of God who allowed this season of triumph. These are not your role models. Samson is not your role model in case you don't know that. Chelton, don't judge others' trials based upon your triumph. That creates judgmentalism that creates ladder and scale within the church. Oh yeah, if only you work hard, believed hard, you will be as triumph as I am. That is toxic in our church. It is grace of God who allowed others, or allowed you to walk through the season of trial, and a season of triumph, there is also grace of God sometimes by sovereign providence that allows you to walk through a season of trial. So in one sense, don't judge others' failure based upon your success. In South Korea, we have this proverb that says, as the rice grows, as the rice ripes, it bows its head. Meaning as it grows, as it matures, as it becomes a season of ripe, it gets heavy at the top. So it bows its head in humility. May we become that in season of triumph. Know that it's not I, but God will allow that great success to happen. They will lead us to only joyful humility. Why is that? Because do you really think it's you, Chelton? that your ability to think cognitively, your ability to make a sober judgment, your emotional intelligence to read the room, how the room is shifting, your good family background you're born with, or the lack thereof that made you much more resilient, the good looks and the beauty that you won the lottery of. 
I have seen plenty of cases who worked out every day, ate so healthy, but died young with incurable disease in comparison to those who smoked all their life, never had lung cancer. It is sometimes grace of God that allows a season of triumph, not you. So may we abandon this word, but I have made it, but I have triumphed, because it is not I, but through Christ in us who grants the season of triumph, that if you don't realize it, when you merit yourself, it will only lead you to self-absorption and judge others. May we abandon that toxic thinking. Second thing we see in this case is that there is also a season of case for trials. Second half of 35 to all the way to 38. 35 second half. There are others who are tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Now, this is talking about intertestamental period, which I mean the between Old Testament and New Testament, there's 400 years of gap. At the time, there was this brutal and vicious ruler called Antiochus Epiphany, who basically came to all Christians say, hey, disobey the law of God by eat this meat. And most famous account is written in the outside of canon scripture in 2 Maccabees 7, where Antiochus Epiphany, this ruler, comes to the woman and her seven sons, seven brothers. And all these seven sons, brothers, refuse to take partake this meat. Antiochus Epiphany kills one by one, and the mother has to watch all of them. How he kills these sons are so brutal and gory that I will not read to you. Um, but as they are died, as they are refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection, they believe in their season of trials, there's a better day to come. This is what one of the sons, one of the brothers says, they get killed by Antiochus Epiphany. Second Maccabees 7.14 says, I am glad to die at your hands. Because we have the assurance that God will raise us from death, but there will be no resurrection of life for you, Antiochus. He died in poise, even in the worst season of trials. In the earthly sense, what a failure. What a terrible life. None of that's his fault, but he's getting killed just because he believed in Jesus, believed in God, believed in resurrection. Do you think this is the end? Verse 36, some faced the jeers and flogging, even change and imprisonment. This was the lot for many prophets. When you read Jeremiah 20, he was put in stock torture device. Many prophets were imprisoned and tortured. Verse 37, they were put to death by stoning. This was what happened to Zechariah. He was put to death by stoning. And can it get any better? And they were sawed in two. According to Jewish tradition, this is how prophet Isaiah died. When you read some of his account outside of Scripture source, Ascension of Isaiah in that book, this is what it says in 5, 11 through 14. And when Isaiah was being sawn in thunder, he neither cried aloud nor wept, but his lips spake with the Holy Spirit until he was sawn in twain. I told you it's going to get really dark. 37, they went about in sheepskins and goatskin, destitute, signifies their poverty. 38, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in desert and mountains, living in caves and holes. 
They are even shunned by the society. Whew. Seasons of trial. You know what's so not helpful if you are walking through seasons of trial today, Chelton? Just as toxic it is for those who are walking through a season of triumph to say, but I have made it. It is just as toxic for you to say, but I have failed it. Sometimes we all marry ourselves, oh, because I did this wrong, that wrong. Sure, there is sometimes we make foolish choices and there is consequence of that. But when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, in this case particular, I mean, while all those people experience the seasons of triumph, their sins are recorded all over the scripture. These are not your role model. What about these people? Zechariah, Isaiah, these seven sons. They are very godly men. But none of them experienced much seasons of triumph, but seasons of trial all their lives. So, Chelton, to the degree that you really believe that by sovereign providence of God, sometimes God allows you, all, you to walk through seasons of trials. He will give you poise. Sometimes we give too much credit to ourselves. Oh, it's all my fault. Oh, I have done this, I have done that. That's why all this is happening. When you're going through absolute sufferings and trials in your life, you become so illogical that you connect every single dot in your life to make sense of your suffering. You said, I knew it, this is my fault. It's all my fault. You give too much credit to yourself. That leads to complete self-absorption, and you also look at the world with a binary lens. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. All those people, those shallow people, are experiencing season of triumph, while me, the godly man, are experiencing season of trial. That is just as toxic. Which season are you in today, Chelton? When you add guilt on top of the season of trials that you're walking through, that's the bottomless pit. There's no rescue in that. But take heart, Shelton. For some of you who are searching for Christian faith today, maybe you are not Christians yet, but you are here. You said, geez, I'm glad I came here today. This is what I signed up for? Whoa, I don't know about this. But let me borrow the words of the British scholar, C.S. Lewis. Uh, don't come to Christianity because it's comforting. Come to it because it is true. Because I'm about to show you the glorious hope. See, do you see here? This is actually all the way from chapter, verse 32 to 38 in Greek. It's one sentence. And one sentence, author lies out, uh, there is a season of triumph. And there is also a season of trial in your faith journey. It is inevitable in your life. You must understand and embrace both Otherwise, when you, all you think is the season of triumph is all you want, all you experience, at best, you will be naive. At worst, you will be toxic. Just looking through the world with binary lens, I have made it, you have failed it. When all you understand and embrace is nobody knows the troubles I have seen, uh, everyone else is just happy. You're utterly self-absorbed in your suffering, completely neglecting. Those who are experiencing season of triumph, they are also going through suffering that you just don't see because you are so absorbed in your own pain and sorrow. In order for you to be wise in your faith journey, you must understand and embrace both. Why? Because there is a great equalizer for both. Read verse 37. Now we are talking about the seasons of faith fulfillment. 3, 39. They are all commanded for their faith, Yet none of them received what had been promised. 
you're thinking, oh, wait a second, they were all commanded for their faith? Well, I thought those who are experiencing seasons of triumph were commanded there for their faith. That's why they triumphed. I have failed. No, he says all of them were commanded their faith, including those who are experiencing trials as well. And wait a second. Well, none of them received what had been promised. I thought those who are experiencing triumph received all the promise. No, none of them received it just yet. What is this talking about? Uh, verse 40. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. What is this talking about? There is one day we will be made perfect. There is one day we will rise once again made completely whole. So, Chelton, if you're experiencing the season of triumph, don't think that's all that is. There is ultimate triumph that is to come. That's so much better than what you think this is all that is. If you're experiencing season of trial, there is an end that is to come. You will be made perfect. There will be one day there is no more tears and sorrows and pain. You will be made perfect, holy, blameless, something better day that is to come. There is the light at the end of the tunnel. If you're walking through seasons of trial today, especially at Shelton, my heart goes out to you. Please know that God is with you. I wish, I always wish I have a clever way to tell you how can I encourage you in your trials. One thing to know that you cannot put a stamp on God's timing. Often God's sense of timing will confound your sense of timing. You're like, God, this is just too much. Hang in there. These are godly men of God, godly men of God who walk through incredible suffering. Is it their fault? No. Can you imagine Linda prayed for us for Afghanistan? Our brothers and sisters in Christ, what they are experiencing, sorrow and suffering. Is that their fault? No. I don't know why God allowed such things, but has God abandoned them? No way. God is with them too. There is a better day that is to come. Do you know why I know that, that we will be made perfect one day, the fulfillment of our faith? There was this man called Jesus Christ was perfect God, yet he also became the son of man. He came down. You think you are facing today ultimate trials, right? No way. Ultimate trial went to Jesus Christ our Lord. He lived perfect and sinless life that was blameless, literally set apart, yet instead of heaven opening up, hell opened up before him. He faced the ultimate trials at the cross of Jesus Christ. He was put to death by those whom he came to love. But through his death, the trials that we face, there is end of it all. Because he has died for our sins. Our trials, even though it seems like heartbreaking, even though it seems like there is no end of it all, we can hope because we are loved to death by Almighty God who loved us to death. For some of you, you think you're experiencing like such a great triumph in your life. No way. Our Jesus Christ, who faced ultimate trial to death, he experienced also ultimate triumph, that is resurrection. Because he has risen, he has conquered the death. One day we will rise again too. 
So don't dwell and settle on your earthly triumph when there's eternal triumph of glory that is awaiting for you. All because of our Jesus Christ faced ultimate trial and ultimate triumph. Because of what he has done, that equalizes all of us in our triumph season and trial season, knowing that one day when he comes back again, he will wipe all tears from our eyes. One day, when we thought this is all there is, there will be so much greater joy, so much greater laughter. It's promised for us. For God had planned something better for us so that only together would they be made perfect. So what season of faith are you walking through today? How does your faith move you, Chilton? May your season of triumph will not lead you to arrogant self-absorption. I have triumphed. May you bow your head. It is not I, but through Christ in me who enabled that season of triumph. Uh, that we grow in joyful humility. God, who am I? That you allow this sweet joy, allow me to foretaste this sweet joy. When you are walking through the seasons of trial, yes, sometimes it seems like there's no solution how to overcome that. The season may be much longer than you would anticipate, but do not lose heart. There is God has planned something, us, something for us so much better. When he comes back, we all will be perfect, and we will reign with him forevermore with hope fulfilled faith fulfilled what season of faith are you walking through season of triumph or trial in all season may our faith truly move us to look to jesus christ who faced the ultimate trial and ultimate triumph for us so that we can find hope in him and him alone today let's pray together Oh God, may in the season of triumph, may the success will not go into our head. And may the seasons of trial, may the failure will not go into our hearts. For we know that sometimes we allow both seasons in our lives. Help us to not condemn one another in each season. We tend to be envious or bitter toward those who are experiencing different seasons. But God, in that one single Greek sentence, you laid out both very clearly. Would you allow us to embrace and understand this journey of faith? God, we have been studying this man and woman of God who walked before us. Oh God, in our agony, in our sorrow, in our joy, help us to realize who these men and women of God are pointing us to. Jesus Christ the author, perfector, and finisher of our faith. So, Lord, we look to you today. And may the testimony of our lives continually cry out, Jesus Christ, it is you, it is you who saved us, who redeemed us, and it is you who will carry us home. So may that hope continually carry us today, right now, in this moment. In your precious name we pray, amen.